Well, we're glad to have you here. I tell you what, it's, it seems like it's been a long time for us coming. I, I'm in, the, in Acts, the third chapter. For those of you that are following along with us, and we want to welcome all of you who are tuned in to our live stream or watching this on some of our other platforms, we appreciate you being here. We are continuing on in the study of Acts, and I'll pick it up in chapter 3, verse 11. Talking about the lame man, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, I want you to go back with me in time, if you will. Here is Peter and John, who are at 3 o'clock in the hour at a designated time of prayer for the temple, and they are entering into the temple. They just went by the beautiful gate where they saw this beggar. The Holy Spirit impressed it upon the beggar's heart to call out to Peter and John and upon Peter to respond. So it is God's miracle work and the timing of that particular miracle that propelled them to this particular moment. As Peter reaches out his hand to grab the right hand of the beggar. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man, the Bible says, leaped to his feet. Didn't just hobble up. A man who had been lame since birth for 40 plus years was able to leap to his feet because the strength of the miracle of God caused his body to become strong and his legs that were atrophied from lack of use to become yielded to God's power through faith in Jesus Christ. And he leapt to his feet and began leaping and dancing and coming into the church with joy and praising. Now, as you look at that, think with me here. The Bible says that while he clung to Peter and John, well, you notice that as they were entering in the temple, something that this man probably had never done before because of his lameness, and as he was entering the temple, excited in the moment, dancing and leaping and praising God for what God had done, all of a sudden the people turned their attention to him. And the crowds were large. And as the the, the crowd began to turn their attention toward this lame man and began to rush toward him because they recognized him as being the beggar who had been outside the church, outside the temple for all of these years. Now you can imagine his, his joy began to turn to fear because here they are. Now verse 11 says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. They were a crowd. It was a mass of humanity that was rushing toward this formerly lame individual. Think about that. You'd be scared too. You've heard their comments as they pass by you on their way into prayer. You've heard, you, you've seen them ignore you. You've, you've watched the expressions on their faith. Some of it is probably expressions of disdain as they look down on you, as you extend that right hand for alms or for some type of benevolent gift. And yet here's the crowd rushing toward him, and he 
clung to Peter. Now the Greek on that, uh, on the meaning of clung, literally means he clung to Peter and John with great strength. His entire body, Peter says later, was made perfect in verse 16. He said, by faith in Jesus' name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. No feeble man standing there at all. This man had his entire strength restored by faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter begins to address the Jews. Now Peter, being Jewish himself, they're standing in the portico of the temple of Jerusalem. Many men and women are gathered together there for prayers and worship. And Peter saw the the look of astonishment in the people's faces. Verse 12 says he saw it in the, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Folks, I have the same background that you have, he said. My cultural background is the same as yours. My religious upbringing is the same as yours. Let's talk man to man. Here it is. He says, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? It's not us that has done it. It is his faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus' response to that faith. It's not us. It's not Peter and John. And they're looking at Peter and John with astonishment because they knew they were from the area of Galilee. They knew they were fishermen. It was all over them. I don't know if they smelled like fish or not, but obviously they knew that they were not educated men. You're going to see that in a coming sermon as well. So why do you wonder at this? Or, or why do you stare at this at us as though it's by our own power or piety that we have made him walk? And then he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release Jesus. But, but, you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, He has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. Wow. So in that charge, Peter is like a highly schooled and intelligent attorney who is now addressing the jury. And he begins to lay out his case. As they have rushed here, they're crowding around Peter, John, and and this formerly lame man. And their look of astonishment over the fact that this man was healed by the God that they claim to worship, Peter begins to address the jury. And this is what he says. You delivered up the only begotten Son of God. You denied... The, him, the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be released instead of Jesus. You killed the author of life. Wow. 
course, we know that God raised him from the dead, so he had the final word. We, Peter said, we, me and John, are witnesses to that fact. Here's the case laid out before you. You're the ones that did this. You failed to listen to the prophets. You failed to heed the prophecy about Jesus as the Messiah, as the only begotten Son of God. You failed to look at that. You failed to to see the case that's set out before you. Jesus. And if God can raise the only begotten Son of God from the grave, and not just raise Him back to life, but give Him a uh, resurrected body, this Peter is saying, we're witnesses of this. We have witnessed the, the life, the ministry, the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ. And we have written, witnessed His resurrection. Amen. And you're, you need to understand that we as, as witnesses of all of this are relating to you that you're responsible for all of what had happened to the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one that was promised by the Scripture. Wow. You think they weren't astounded? Psychologists say guilt is something that we all have to deal with. Peter is loading them up. He's saying to them, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen now. This guilt, we all carry it to a certain extent, all of us, to in one fashion or another. We, have, we are parents. Parents have a lot of guilt. We're not perfect. We're, we're married. We, we have spouses. We have guilt over relationships. We have we're, as siblings. We have guilt over sibling relationships. We have guilt in, in some of the things that we did at work that weren't as, as acceptable as other times. And we, we have guilt in, in our ministries and in our, in our service areas because we have not performed in a way that we feel the Lord expects us to, perhaps. We have let him down. We've got guilt in certain areas. We carry guilt. I mean, that baggage really gets overwhelming at times. And Peter is laying it on them. Now, here's what he says. He says, but I'm going to give this one thing to you. You acted in ignorance. Verse 17. He said, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. There is a law, Leviticus 3 and 4, in Levitical law, there is the, the situation going where in Levitical law, it is true that Jewish law didn't deal as harshly with those who acted in ignorance and broke the law. Now, you and I understand that uh, ignorance of the law is no defense at all if you're standing before a judge today and the judge says you're you're accused of breaking this particular law and you simply tell the judge i didn't know anything about that law you think the judge is going to let you off not quite there's still consequences but under the jewish way of thinking the consequences weren't as bad if you unknowingly broke the law as if you had a premeditated act there and so he says I understand. He said, you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. Kind of takes Peter back to the time of Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? Where he says in that situation, Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they're doing. They can't know. Surely if they knew that they were crucifying the only begotten Son of God, the only perfect person who's ever walked the face of the earth, God incarnate in flesh, they wouldn't nail him to the cross. Peter says, I know you acted in ignorance. But look what he says, next verse, 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that has Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. He has fulfilled. And so for him, he is saying that this was God's plan all along. He used your ignorance. He used the political scene at the time to perform his purpose. The plan of salvation was written on stone from the beginning of time. At the right time, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. At that right time, there there was no better time in history for Jesus Christ to be delivered up and crucified for our sins than right then. God had it all planned. He used the forces of evil that were away at Jesus. Well, Calvary was Satan's final word, or at least he thought so. But the empty tomb was God's response. And so the healed beggar was proof that Jesus is alive. If God can heal a beggar, I'll promise you, Peter is saying, God can raise the dead. God can restore his son. He is at the right hand of the throne of God. The resurrection changed everything. God could raise Jesus, then he could heal the sick. He could heal the lame. He could heal the blind. He can restore us to a relationship with himself by faith in his only begotten son, Jesus. Well, there was that conviction. And so you could feel it. The pall came over the entire crowd like a, like a heavy black cloud just kind of settled in over the crowd. Then Peter gives them some resolution. He says, here's what you need to do. Because when you come to know Christ, there's got to be conviction before there's conversion. And I want you to hear it. I've said it before. And I'll say it again a hundred times. Repentance and conversion are two sides of the same coin. You see, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Conversion is the change of direction. So many people think that because they have sorrow over what they've done, that's sufficient. It's not. The Bible says godly sorrow works or precedes repentance. But don't ever confuse sorrow with repentance. I can take you to any number of jail cells or prison cells today. There's a lot of inmates that are sorry. They're not necessarily sorry for what they've done. They're sorry for being caught. They're sorry for being in a cell where they can't get out. They're sorry for not being able to have the freedom that they once enjoyed. But are they sorry for their crimes? A lot of them are not. So don't think that being sorrowful is synonymous with being repentant. Repentant is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. The change of direction It's conversion. I've changed my mind about who I am in Christ Jesus. I've changed my mind about 
following God from this time forward. I want Jesus to be the author and finisher of my faith. I want him to be the absolute uh, guide in my life. I want him to be the uh, answer of every question that I might have. I've, I've sought truth through every other means but Jesus. I want him to be the source of truth from this point forward. That's repentance. Conversion means that I begin to follow that line of reasoning and I follow Jesus. That's what it is. Now, I want you to see there are several results of repentance that he mentions. Verses 19 through 26. First of all, your sins are blotted out. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now the Bible says the wages of sin is death. In this inflationary time, the wages of sin remain the same. It's death. It is separation from God the Father. Now if we leave it there, we're kind of discouraged and disappointed. Why would anybody come back for more? But it continues by saying the wages of sin is death. You know the rest of that. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whoa. There is a gift to our rebellion if we turn our lives over in repentance, true repentance and conversion to Jesus Christ. So our sins are blotted out. The Bible says, Thy sin shall I remember no more. As far as the east is from west, shall I remove your sins. 1 John 1, 9 said, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that sin, that disobedience to God has been wiped out by the gracious hand of God. Now, you're going to have the enemy, Satan, is going to be in your ear telling you about all those bad things that you have done. Even though you have asked forgiveness perhaps for these things, sincerely, and God has wiped it clean, the enemy is going to remind you of your past. And every time he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I've read Revelation. I know how this comes out. It's not pretty for him. I'm just telling you. So your sins are blotted out. Secondly, Times of refreshing may come. Oh, these times of refreshing. I have those every day of my life, these times of refreshing. Every morning I wake up, I thank God for another opportunity uh, to, to breathe on this earth and to serve Him. Now, every time I go to bed at night, I give Him all that glory for the things that had happened because I had very little to do with it all. I mean, when you think about the times of refreshing, there are times when you get so tired, you get so weak, and yet God lays us down in paths in green pastures beside still waters. He restores our soul. What greater could that be? These times of refreshing means that no matter how tired I get, how frustrated I am with mankind, or how irritated I am with circumstance or situation, when I turn to the Lord, those times of refreshing come, and I have that, that peace that passes all understanding that begins to overwhelm me. I know God is in control. And as long as He is in control, and I'm not, I am refreshed. And then thirdly, there is rejoicing in the return of Jesus. He says and he, that 
he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet. Jesus is coming again. And when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you begin to rejoice in the fact that he's coming again. I don't know when it's going to be, but I'll promise you it's closer than it's ever been in history. Never been a time that's been nearer to the return of Jesus than right now. And so as we look at that, we look forward to the coming of Jesus, the restoration of his kingdom on planet earth, the the opportunity that we have to serve him for all eternity, the restoring of our, our bodies into all that God expects us to be. Wow. We begin to look forward. We begin to pray that prayer. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And then there is the escape from God's judgment. As we look at verse 23, he says, It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He says, To us, there is that great judgment that everybody will stand one day. To every person is given a time, a place, an opportunity to die, and then comes the judgment, the Scripture says. And so we have, there are two judgments according to the Scripture. The first judgment is the the bima, the judgment seat that determines whose names are not written in the book of life by faith in Jesus Christ. They have not trusted Him uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Those names are not written in the book of life. They escape the first judgment, those whose are. But those who have never trusted Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, they are judged in the first judgment. And that judges, judges those who have not trusted Christ for an eternal separation from God. I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine a place that's devoid of color and joy and peace and, and happiness and all of that. It's, that's, the Bible calls that hell. We don't talk about hell a lot anymore, but it exists. Jesus warned two-thirds of the time about the afterlife, warning about hell instead of talking about heaven. Think about that. That's the only begotten Son of God saying that. Escape God's judgment as a result of our repentance in Jesus Christ. And then we receive the Lord's blessings. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says... You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness to the nation of Israel and then to the Gentiles. The nation of Israel was called by God to be a light to the world, to the Gentile nation, to the non-Jewish world. And Peter is saying, this is the reason why Jesus came. To be the Word of God incarnate, not only to the Jew, but to the non-Jew as well. To the uttermost parts of the earth. And when Jesus gave that charge that that we will be His witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, it wasn't an option. It was a command. It was the great commandment as in Matthew 28, 18-20. And it is that we will go therefore into all the world, not the Jewish world only, not the Anglo world only, not the European, but every continent, every niche in this uh, globe, we will take the Word of God in a way that brings Him glory and honor. 
So, repentance brings you, your sins are blotted out, your times of refreshing come, you rejoice in the return of Jesus Christ, you escape God's judgment, you receive the Lord's blessing for you and your family. What could be better than that? I ask you. So here we are today. If you're here listening to this, not only personally, but you are in our live stream or listening on other platforms, I want to ask you this simple question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you truly repented? Do you, have you turned your life over to Him and begun to follow Him in your walk of life? Secondly, maybe you followed Him and you've done that. Maybe you'd say a prayer in your bedroom or in a living room or somewhere else, and yet you've never followed the Lord in baptism by immersion. This is a matter of being faithful to the Lord in what He asks us to do. It is our public profession of faith and public identity for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, maybe you're looking for a church home. We have a great place here. I just want you to know we have a great place here. And for all of us, that matter of, of making a decision that brings God glory, a rededication of our hearts and minds and spirits, uh, turning all of our lives over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, withholding nothing from Him is a prayer of rededication. I want to tell you I'll be here to pray with you at the end of this service. I'll be here during the week. We, we're, our office is open from 8.30 to 4.30 every day. Call me at home. Let me know that uh, you'd like to talk about something the Lord is leading you to do or something that's been on your heart. I'll be more than happy to meet with you. I want you to do that. On the first Sunday of each month, we observe the Lord's Supper. Today is different. We've never done it like this before. So I'm asking our audience out there uh, that are watching the live stream or those that are watching this later on to get your bread or cracker and your juice down. For those of you that are sitting here in the wings, this little cup is on the floor For those of you in the pews, it's in the back of your pew. I want you to know that there is a clear cellophane tab that is kind of bent up for you. That will reveal the bread. And so without further ado, I'm going to ask our deacons to stand and to have one of our deacons to pray for the distribution of the bread. But Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers and Thank you for the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that you made with your son, Jesus Christ. And today we remember that celebration that you had when you brought him back from the grave and back to your side. We take this bread as remembrance of his body that he gave for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And the scripture says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the Bible says in the same manner he took the cup.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that he cared enough to die for us. Uh, Bless us as we take this uh, representation of his blood and bless it to nourish us and help us to nourish others because of the sacrifice you've made in giving your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible says in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Bible continues by saying, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Our most gracious Father, we come before you today grateful. Lord, when we participate in this Lord's Supper, the symbols of the bread and the juice of your body and blood being broken and shed for our sins, just is is astounding. It's overwhelming. And yet, by grace, you give that to us, that we might, through you, have a relationship with the Father. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're accomplishing here, in and through us. Thank you for keeping your hand on this family of believers. Thank you, Lord, for bestowing upon us the knowledge, the wisdom that we need to follow you on a daily basis. And Lord, we want to we be a blessing to you today. So I pray for each and every person as they leave this building that they will go away having been brought closer to you through this message. And Lord, that they will be a blessing not only to you but to others in their ministry during the days ahead. Thank you, Father, for what you're accomplishing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.